Stanford University. Thank you all for um, inviting me, and uh, it's, it's great to be here. It's really interesting, uh, such a diverse kinds of presentations. Uh, I guess I don't need to use this, so I can stand over here. Um, so um, I wanted to talk a, a little bit about um, my, I, you know, I have a digital art background. I have a joint appointment in art um, and computer science. Um, and I'm not sure what's happened to my computer. Um, and uh, I have been doing this kind of digital work for a long time. And um, uh, but I'm part of uh, now a program in art and ecology. And I work a, a lot with environmental science and biology. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what uh, we're doing at the University of New Mexico in that area and, um, and, and kind of how I, I got there from uh, digital media and from uh, uh, computer uh, technology, art, and programming. So uh, the art and ecology program, we're a graduate and undergraduate program. We have um, uh, five faculty coming from a variety of different disciplines that are permanently in our program. And then, uh, like I said, we collaborate with biology and environmental science and sustainability studies. Our faculty come from sculpture, design, uh, myself in computing, architecture, and uh, performance. We focus a lot on working in the field. So uh, there's a course that we do is eight weeks um, in the field, and then the students are working. This is kind of their studio that they build. Uh, this is near the Grand Canyon. And uh, they kind of go all over the American Southwest working with uh, contemporary studios. This was at Cluey. Uh, and uh, also visiting some of the historical uh, land arts uh, pieces there. Um, at the university, I run um, a small lab called the Social Media Work Group. And we work on a number of different projects engaging with uh, technology and environment. We're sort of inspired by um, uh, this idea in ubiquitous computing about how can a computer system be as rich as a walk in the woods. Um, we recently did a piece with uh, Navajo Nation, uh, collaborated with two Navajo artists. Uh, that's one of them, Esther Boleyn. Uh, a Navajo Nation, in the middle of a Navajo Nation, has two of the largest coal-fired power plants in the world. And they flank uh, this uh, sacred site called Shiprock. And so what uh, my team did, this is part of my team, and another um, Navajo collaborator, Vinaya Yazi, uh, what we did was we created a tour uh, that brought people through Navajo Nation along a highway where they could see the devastation that happened uh, through the, well, they can see the power plants, whatever, however they want to interpret them. And then they can hear the stories of the peoples who have been dealing with these power plants um, in a variety of, of different ways. And we developed an app um, to kind of lead people through this experience, but also, um, created a number of different ways for people to have this experience uh, because of dealing with um, <clears throat> technology and access uh, it, within Navajo Nation. I can talk more about that uh, later, but I'll just, um, I've got a few things to show. Um, 
So uh, we're part of the Art and Ecology Program as part of a group of uh, institutions around the American Southwest that ha have just launched an online journal called ARID at aridjournal.org. So if anyone is writing um, or working on projects, uh, visual, audio, uh, multimedia projects related to aridity, and the desert doesn't have to be the American Southwest, could we've got uh, people uh, submitting from the Middle East, uh, please, uh, let me know and uh, send me some information and, and uh, we'd love to include it. Um, I also uh, just completed a uh, symposium. I was artistic director of the ASEAN Symposium, uh, which was held here in the US for the first time since 2006. It's the International Symposium for Electronic Art. And we held it in Albuquerque, New Mexico under the theme of machine wilderness. And we were addressing the um, idea of how to sustainably coexist with technology, understanding that our technology is not going away, including vehicular technology, like many places out here in the West, formed by um, the automobile. And so we, we hosted a number of different really interesting automobile, mobile type of projects, uh, 100 artists from 35 countries, 500, over, over 500 presenters, um, kind of trying to address this this issue. And I, and I guess I'll, I'll backtrack now and talk about kind of my own experience. Um, being someone who's worked with technology almost my entire life, or my entire life, I should say, um, I, I started to become very disillusioned, and, and teaching technology for over 20 years, um, I started to become very disillusioned about a, a couple of things. One is the uh, idea of, of training people to be consumers of these commercial um, items, and, and there's been quite a few kind of side conversations about that uh, even here at this conference, and and just the, the, the footprint of these, these types of devices and, and what I, I was doing. So I've, I've tried to kind of really address that head on um, in my work, both in my work and, and my teaching. And I guess I'll, I'll talk a little bit about more about that later. So let me show you a quick uh, video. This is a project that the, um, the social media work group just produced for ICEA for the late night lounges at ICEA. So I'll just play that real quick. And I hope I have sound. The social media work group created an interactive text message game called the Bioethics of Beer. BEB is about freedom of experience. Inspired by beer, from its beginnings as different elements in the brewing process, all the way to its consumption in social settings, BEB facilitates an interactive experience between the player, technology, beer, and people. BEB participants communicate through text messages with a character named Y. Loosely associated with yeast, Y contacts the player from a future world in the midst of its fermentation. BEB is structured around five acts, each metaphorically tied to a process of beer. Over five days, the player helps Y through cell, drop, light, seed, and taste. Y, in trying to figure out how its environment was thrown into chaos, asks the player to collect data through various tasks involving interaction. We cooperated with local bars to offer coupons and venues for the staging of bioethics of beer. Along with the interactive game, the bioethics of beer includes a zine, which is a philosophical exploration of the same five themes. So we actually went um, 
and brewed beer in the most sustainable way that we could um, with an artist named Sarah Lewison, uh, who's at Carbondale. And, uh, and then this project became kind of the result uh, of that. Um, so I think, you know, my progression was more than I think just uh, thinking about the problems of the tools and the, and the uh, software that I was using, uh, but it was also kind of a um, structural uh, evolution. So I had worked uh, a lot with sonification of data, and I was particularly interested in weather and climate-related data. And in fact, one of the first uh, large-scale sonifications I did was a sonification of a hurricane that hit the um, New York uh, the Eastern Seaboard in 1991. Uh, and I, I did this in around 2000, and it, it was inspired by some work that I'd been doing with algorithmic composition of uh, chaotic attractors about 10 years earlier. And I realized in doing that sonification and some uh, other ones using climate um, data uh, that I was more inspired by a, a soundscape model than a music model for the creation of these sonifications. And so I became really deeply involved in studying the soundscape. I joined the World Forum for Acoustic Ecology and the American Society for Acoustic Ecology that put out this journal. Um, I formed the New York Society for Acoustic Ecology in 2003 uh, with a group of people, and we created the New York Sound Map, of which SoundSeeker was part of it, and one of the first um, Google Maps uh, sound maps um, that was created. There were quite a few that happened after that. Um, I started working with meteorologists on real-time um, sonification projects, sort of ambient sonification. And I did this piece called Endpoint, which included uh, live uh, webcam images of uh, the North Pole um, in, the, in the summer months uh, with a four-channel sonification of a weather model of the North Pole. And I actually have a CD of that that, uh, if you would like one, it's about a 45-minute ambient piece of weather in the North Pole between 2003 and 2006. So you're welcome to, to take that if you want. So I was looking at these weather stations at the North Pole, thinking about climate change, and I wanted to actually visit these stations somehow. I couldn't figure out a way to get to the North Pole, but I could figure out a way to get to the South Pole. So I did a National Science Foundation uh, Artists and Writers Residency in 2007-2008. I was interested in these machines and these instruments and the writing of Richard Byrd about them. And I, when I got there, I realized that there were about 10 times more people, human beings, on the ground looking at the sky, writing stuff down on regular paper with pencils um, about the weather than there were these, these machines uh, recording it. So I became very interested in what is it that a human being is getting from that experience. It's a lot more expensive to bring people down to Antarctica. It's, it is um, a lot more dangerous. And I started interviewing scientists. I did about 30 interviews with scientists in the, um, in the, the Antarctic and, and have done many uh, since. And, and scientists started talking about this idea of ground truth. So I became very interested in ground truth, which is a definition of a human being on the ground doing something. Here's three of the scientists that I collaborated with in um, Antarctica, a glaciologist, um, biologist, and uh, engineer who I spent most of the time, Hassan Besajic. I won't talk too much about that. But I put out, um, after that Antarctica experience, I put out a CD called Sonic Antarctica. It's on the Grün Recorder label, uh, which is a German label. And it combines excerpts from these interviews with soundscape recordings and the sonifications of the scientists' um, data. Also, since then, I've, I've created a book. Um, I've got one copy floating around here. If anyone would like it, just be the first person to ask me. Um, I, um, 
I uh, co-authored this with uh, Jane Marshing, who's a Boston-based uh, artist, and we were starting to look at, we wanted to look at how the technologies were converging between environmental scientists and artists. And in fact, just like um, we saw these Macs in the backstage at, at the Lyric Opera and, and other places at the Met, um, you seeing Macs a lot in environmental science uh, labs. Not to do an advertising for Mac, I didn't mean to do that, but it, it, it's, there's really quite a, uh, a convergence happening. Um, this is some of Jane's work, uh, visualizing architecture in the North Pole once the ice caps have melted permanently. And uh, this is a really wonderful group called um, London Fieldworks. They were some of the first people to go to the Arctic and do um, experiments with how their bodies are responding to the 24-hour uh, sunlight, and that was a piece Polaria. So since then, I became really interested in these, these instruments. I wanted to control the data that I was getting. I found that collaborating with scientists was uh, asking, it was very demanding for them, and they, f and they didn't always have the time to, to work with me and reformat their data the way I needed it formatted. So I started to try and control my own data. So I now operate five weather stations around the world. Um, I, I don't really operate them. I've, I've sort of given them to community centers uh, around the world in this project called Hello Weather. We contribute to the Weather Underground Network and some other like kind of global networks, and they tweet. Um, you can subscribe to one of the thousands of stations on um, uh, Weather Underground, and you can you get a tweet. We have a database of a couple thousand uh, quotes about weather, and based on that day's weather and uh, other conditions, you'll get a different uh, quote. Um, once a day. Uh, this is a piece called Atmosfeed. And then I've done lots of kind of public pieces, kind of helping to raise awareness about environmental issues. This is a piece called Cloud Car. Um, it's as if you could see, this is at the New York Hall of Science, if you could see the emissions that your car creates, what might that look like? Um, and uh, we also have used that as a kind of a venue for telling stories on the the cloud um, itself. Uh, that brought uh, me to this piece. This was recently shown in, in uh, Torino um, at the Parco Arte Vivente in a solo show, uh, but it was inspired by spending some time in uh, Delhi, in New Delhi, where I, the, the pollution was so, from, from automobiles and other um, vehicles was so bad, I, I felt like I had a kind of had a bag over my head and trying to breathe. So this, this piece takes a car, and the car in the span of about 30 seconds will uh, go from being kind of inflated to, to deflated and, and sucking in as if you're um, kind of breathing. Um, that's a piece called Breather. Um, this was a piece, uh, public work in San Jose, of, uh, called Particle Falls, and it's a projected waterfall that when particulate pollution is detected, kind of becomes a, a fireball. And I think, um, I'm not sure how I'm doing on time, but I think I can play you a little visual of that so you can see what that looks like. Um, so uh, since then, um, I've produced a, a permanent piece for the University of Utah's um, a school of business, and it's an LED, it's about a 20-foot high LED, you're seeing two versions of it here, and it's taking real-time market data um, 
from a number of different markets around the world, uh, depending on what time it is, and creating a kind of a skyscape uh, based on that. So the shape that you see is the shape of the Great Salt Lake, if you've ever flown over it. And the idea is kind of like um, uh, Escher's Three Worlds, where you're looking at the reflection of the sky and the surface of the lake. And if there's a lot of market activity, the volume is high, you'll get a lot of these planes going by. If it's, if it's going down, uh, you'll get a kind of a more of a stormy sky. And then uh, we used also the volatility index, which is uh, also known as the, the fear index. And that kind of creates an unnatural sort of color or a, a, a more natural color, depending on, on how high the fear index is. Um, you know, trying to work in, in, in unusual spaces and trying to communicate some kinds of experiences um, uh, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, similar to what um, Myra was talking about, these trying to convey these experiences that are, are maybe more, more difficult to convey in um, other ways. And that's it. Thanks. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.